Hey everyone, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are joining me from, we from. I am so excited to have you here today. Any of you who have joined me before, hello again, my name is Barton Siever, and this is my dear friend and business partner, Katie Kennedy Rivera, who is joining me today. This is her first time on screen. It is. I'm always the one behind the screen, so doing some research ahead of time. It's this is a new experience. Yeah, see. it's very fun. Katie is a member of the Ruby family as well. She is one of the graders behind a lot of the work. So any of you in the Forks Over Knives or Seafood Literacy courses, well, any of the courses, really, uh, you've interacted with either me or more likely Katie. So uh, she is a Ruby professional. She has a <laughs> very deep, deep history within culinary. Um, yeah, from... I, can, I can give you a quick rundown of that. So yeah, I, would you? I, I did go to the Culinary <laughs> Institute of America many, many moons ago. Did my culinary training with the great Thomas Keller out at French Laundry, which is an experience unlike none other. She brunoed a lot of strawberries. Brunoed a lot of everything. Tarragon <laughs> is my ultimate favorite. <laughs> and then I worked with Jose Andres in DC for a while before my family moved up here to Maine and Barton and I teamed up and now we're all things fun all the time. I, I really like my title here, Barton Wrangler, Chief of Awesomeness. Yes. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I'm That's, putting that on my LinkedIn profile. There you go. <laughs> Better than what you have there now, which is nine years old or Probably, whatever it yeah. is. So anyway, uh, welcome to the Ragged Jagged Delicious Coast of Maine, my house here, my home kitchen, where we are joining you from today. Um, yeah, so we're going to be discussing whole grains here today. This is one of our ongoing, well, we like to do a whole range of different topics. And, and this is a fun one for us. There's a lot of learning, but a lot of... Uh, um, good questions that have come in as well that have prompted us to do some learning, but also, uh, you know, this is something that is near and dear to our heart. I you know, regularly have two, three, four whole grains, you know, in my fridge ready to go that uh, we just pull out and, you know, stir fry or whatever up. Um, so these are sort of near and dear to my, <laughs> to my heart. Um, Barton likes to overdo. I try to do one per week. <laughs> yes. So my, my, well, my motto in life is why do anything? if you can just overdo everything instead, right? Indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Katie often has to deal with the, the fallout from that. Anyway, Katie is also godmother of our firstborn child, Alden. And um, yeah, so she really is part of the family and, and I am grateful for her every week. Uh, any of you who have joined me here before know that I like to start off with a little bit of moment of gratitude because cooking uh, is an act of kindness. It is an act of love and Lord knows the world needs more of that these days. But the greatest uh, ingredient in any recipe you will ever make is gratitude for the food in front of you, for the opportunity to be feeding others, for those others themselves, their presence in your life, even the kitchen in which you are cooking it, right? Gratitude, the most important ingredient in any recipe. And uh, so I just, at the beginning of these little events, I like to take a moment to say something that I'm grateful for, whether it's you know, something out on my farm or just a lovely autumn day, but today it's Katie. Well, I'm always grateful for Katie, but this is her first time joining me on screen. So I think this is very fun. <laughs> all right. I, I too am grateful for all of this and grateful yeah. for the Ruby family. It's been a, a really fun, almost five years now. That we've been with Ruby. It's about, yeah. Yeah, five years on Halloween. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. Nice anniversary. Happy anniversary, y'all. <laughs> All right. So whole grains. Yeah. Fun topic. So to start off with, let me tell you something. I am not an expert on uh, substitutions in vegan cuisine, um, substitutions in a lot of dietary 
regimes. I am not an expert in baking. Uh, so we are approaching this. Katie has a lot more experience than I do in this, but we're really approaching this event today from really sort of a culinary vantage point, talking about the grains themselves and really sort of how, how I tend to think about using them. Uh, I am a restaurant chef, as was Katie. So we have this sort of entertaining, uh, you know, sort of bend to our food, but also we are home cooks. We're both parents of young children. So we do, we do a lot of um, very basic cooking uh, to get things, just to get the day through and get things onto the table. But, um, you know, we'll try our best to answer any questions that you have. There's maybe possibly a little more technical, uh, but if there is something that you were very curious about that is outside of our area of expertise, then we will certainly certainly put that question in, but we'll forward that on to someone else in the Ruby family that does have that expertise because, well, within the family, we know everything, right? Claire's pretty much an expert on everything in yeah. the Ruby family. But we yes. certainly don't know everything. <laughs> we know a lot. Cool. So with that, let's get started off. Um, anything else you want to say before we start? I'm ready to dive in. Yeah? Yeah. Well, that's fun. All right, we'll go for it. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. All right. <laughs> Intro. So uh, whole grains is, has an interesting history within the cuisine of humanity being that, um, uh oh, I think I just turned the camera. Yeah, you definitely did something. Yeah. We have this newfound camera that likes to follow me. Um, yeah. Okay. Patrick, who is my... Did I do it? No, you have to wait for the blue light to come on. Okay. To everyone at home watching this, I'm not just being weird. Yes, thank you. I have a, a, a camera that reacts to gesticulations to follow or whatever. So anyway, good. I'm glad we're back. Thank you for your, your guidance on that, Patrick. So uh, the history of whole grains within the cuisine of humanity is very long. Basically, that uh, agriculture started with the cultivation and domestication of whole grains. Uh, and that was really when we went from hunter-gatherer, uh, <laughs> see, hunter, uh, the whole grains are done, uh, a hunter-gatherer society to an ag agrarian society. And it was uh, really when the human diet changed drastically. There are some evidence that, uh, you know, the that change in our cuisine from hunter-gatherer to agrarian caused... Uh, some issues in the human body and thus we have some arguments ongoing till today about scientific validity of what diet we should be doing whether it's neo-paleolithic or proto-paleolithic etc whether we should be eating carbs etc etc um i'm not going to dive into that i'm not a scientist uh, nutrition scientist but i will say that um it seems pretty basic that we've been eating these things for twelve thousand years and now they are a part of us and they're also really tasty and they're pretty healthy. And that's what the science says. So we're just going to sort of assume that they're a great thing for us. Um, eight cereals. So cereals are um, sort of the larger. And I have to stop gesticulating now because the camera is going to follow me. Um, eight cereals account for over 50% of the calories that are consumed by humans on this planet. And they consume, and they also account for roughly half of the protein consumed by people on this planet. So Whole grains, or also known as cereals, are incredibly important to our diets, right? And only eight cereals, let's see, I have a list of them. Wheat, maize, also known as corn, rice, barley, sorghum, oats, rye, and millet 
right there account for over 50% of the calories that we eat on this planet. So there's lots of other whole grains that fall into this category. I believe there's two families, the wheat and barley families under which I don't know about the families of wheat. I'll just say it with confidence. And yeah. Everybody will believe you. <laughs> uh, uh, <coughs> though there are um, several grains that are true grains, there are also several that are treated as grains. So think of uh, quinoa, think of amaranth, uh, other things that are te technically seeds uh, that fall into that category, but are treated from a dietary and from a culinary standpoint, really as grains. So we're going to be including those today and talking about those. So uh, really, we're going to cover how to eat more grains, how to get more whole grains, excuse me, into your diets. Uh, we're going to talk about methods for cooking them, sort of culinary flavors and personalities of some of them. Uh, we're going to go through a, a, the big pile of whole grains that I've got in front of me. Um, yeah, so... Anything else you want to add now? Let me so. talk about that. Yeah. Vitamins and minerals. Yeah. Right. You want me to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Sure. I'm, I'm reading your notes here. So yes, most most whole grains will have your B vitamins in them. They have fiber. Mm -hmm. Lots of fiber. Lots of fiber and obviously carbs and oftentimes at least some protein. That did not, those are not done. We've thing. got some wheat berries cooking. That we um, hoped would be done by now. There, an hour and a half away. From I think the time. I think the heat actually turned off. Oh, well, that would be a problem. That would be a problem. <laughs> so, all right. So yeah, very healthy for you, and across a whole bunch of spectrums, they are also uh, not very seasonal. So this is something that you can eat year-round, of course. Uh, and what's great about that is that you begin to have this sort of staple, you know, uh, canvas on which to work for seasonal salad, side dishes, main dishes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and so seeing what your bulgur wheat tabbouleh salad looks like uh, in fall versus what it looks like in early summer is kind of a fun thing uh, to consider. So we'll be talking through a lot of that. So. They're also relatively inexpensive, which oh, yeah. if your grocery bills these days or anything like mine is a nice, Nice thing. Yeah, I spent $182 at the grocery store yesterday. I got a whole bunch of whole grains, uh, some vegetables, and um, yeah, and some like Doritos. It was, I came home. I don't have a single complete dinner here. So other, you know, anyway, it wasn't the whole grains that bulked up that, that price. But all right, so uh, let's talk. Let's take a couple of questions first, right? From Tony F, I like making my own whole, my own bread <laughs> using whole wheat flour. And I have two questions: Is there a trick to getting a less dense loaf without using AP flour? Hmm. And is there an easy and reliable way to make a starter using whole wheat flour? Cheers. I'm gonna look You're at gonna you. You're gonna look at me for that one. Yeah. So, first question: Less dense loaf without using AP flour. So a lot of whole grains have less gluten, just inherently in them, and the gluten is what gives you the rise and really gives you that chewy texture in bread that is not super dense. So if you're using a whole grain, it is going to be more dense than an AP flour bread, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it makes a really lovely toast. Um, is there an easy and reliable way to If I could start? add to yeah. that. So when Katie, when you said that, that there's uh, less gluten, it's just that the volume of gluten to okay. overall, uh, you know, to the whole grain, because when you're milling the whole grain, you have 
the germ, the endosperm, and the um, blank germ, endosperm, and those are notes. Uh, intrasperm? No. <laughs> endosperm. Endo. Endo. You got it. No. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> hi. Uh, we're figuring this out too. So uh, it's just about, about volume because the flower has all three components of the bran. Bran. That's it. Bran. Bran, germ, and endosperm. There you go. Got it. <laughs> uh, all those three components in there, so just the volume of gluten is less, not the necessarily uh, content of it in the Correct. in the original grain. Correct. <clears throat> um, some people, I, again, I'm not a bread master either. Some people say if you just add a little more liquid, it can make it a little less dense. Um, just a couple of teaspoons per cup. In terms of making a starter. The best way to make a starter is find a friend with an older starter <laughs> and, and feed it whole wheat flour. Um, you replace the whole wheat or the flour pretty darn quickly if you're feeding it regularly. So I'd say start with a starter you have and go from there. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much, Tony, for that question. So I, I just, I have a, uh, not a whole grain, but I have garlic. Uh, any of you who have joined me before know that I live on a garlic farm. I have a little thing for garlic. Love me some garlic. Sing song. So think of this garlic like a whole grain. So on the outside, you have the bran, which is the several layers of wrapping, basically, that protects it. So that's sort of like the skin, right? And then on the inside, you have the endosperm. So that in the garlic, you can see this. And again, this is not a whole grain, and I know, but uh, I'm just showing you this. So it has the endosperm. So this is that piece of the inside of the, of the, uh, well, and this is a bulb, but of the grain that is the next plant, right? That is what is going to form roots. That is what is going to uh, succeed this. And then this is the endosperm. What we think of as the rest of the garlic there sort of is the endosperm. That is the food for um, the germ, right? I get that right. So uh, that's that's how whole grains are formed. Um, and when you get a milled or uh, refined grain, basically what you're getting is that bran removed, so that protective, vitamin-rich, mineral-rich outer hull. You are getting the germ often removed from that inside, and so you're basically getting just the endosperm. Uh, that is sort of the enriched white flower there, and because a lot of those minerals and nutrients, phytonutrients, fiber, all of that is taken out by removing the bran, that sort of the outer hull skin again. Uh, oftentimes you'll see that it's fortified. And so what that means is um, um, nutrients and minerals have been added back in. And this was due to government regulations because we were uh, showing you getting diseases and sick from nutrient mineral deficiencies. Uh, that plague many cultures and societies across the world, but uh, some in the developed world, there's sort of an easy fix, which is just to put niacin <laughs> and riboflavin and vitamin D and vitamin B back into the grains that we pulled them out of. It's a little bit silly, right? So when it comes to the question also, uh, uh, Tony F, was that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tony, that you asked, uh, a big part of whole grains is getting used to them. Uh, you know, I, I've eaten white rice, just my family growing up, that's what we ate. Uh, I've had to get used to brown rice. Part of getting used to brown rice is getting used to how long it takes to cook. 
it's just, it's not 17 minutes on the stovetop. You're talking about an hour, basically. Uh, part of getting used to whole grains, Tony, is getting used to a slightly denser bread. Um, you know, as Katie said, she she likes it. I mean, it makes great toast. It is wonderful on its own. That density is not a flaw, but rather it is a unique characteristic of I, the same way that cod, right? It just tastes rather mild and not with a lot of you know personality. But salmon has a lot of flavor, personality, even color to it. Uh, you know, we appreciate both, right? Um, and so it's a lot of with whole grains is just getting used to them. And, and once you do, as I have, as Katie has, uh, you, you really begin to prefer mm -hmm. that nuttiness, that density, that chew, uh, and that meatiness, that hardiness that it provides uh, that really helps you sustain well, your, your own nutrition and great health, but also sustain the feeling of fullness, uh, but also overall wellness. So, I feel like it just has more more flavor that is its own. So yeah. White rice is just, you know, it's the side dish in Chinese food, right? To suck everything else up. But these grains have flavor on their own and texture and can really be a main dish all their own. Agreed. Cool. All right. Does sourdough have less gluten from Lynette? Back to me again. Yeah. So this, this is what happens. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> I just don't know something. So sort of. Um, it does have a little less gluten. It's sort of like a gluten light. It's not gluten free. So if you have celiac, stay away. And again, not doctors, not medical professionals, not even professional bakers. So take all of what we're saying with a grain of salt. Um, but it does have less gluten. What makes it often more digestible to people who have other GI issues, not celiac, is the fermentation product, uh, process. It gives it some of the probiotics and makes it easier on your digestion. So that's why often it is a better option for people who have gluten sensitivities. Still not an option for celiacs though. That's the short answer. You can well, it's a do, great answer too. You can do a lot of research on all of the oh, yes. ins and outs of it if we, you want. We, we found that the internet is rife with rabbit holes <laughs> uh, when it comes to when it comes to whole grains. Um, one of the great resources that we have here, uh, I think Patrick added some of them in. We've got the grains cooking times, uh, which is a wonderful little chart that we have here uh, produced by Ruby. So this is um, just ratios of uh, whole grains and water with general cooking times, et cetera, and yields. So check that out. That is the grains cooking time. That is just below. That's the link just beneath my head there uh, underneath the screen. Um, also, uh, whole grains. What was it? The whole grain council. Wholegrainscouncil.org has a whole lot of really great information about it. Uh, it is not a... They're not selling you anything, but they are evangelists. They are. They do believe the gospel that they're preaching about whole grains and health and mm -hmm. uh, even the environmental benefits around it. Because with whole grains, when you remove anything from the food before you feed it to somebody, uh, well, that's food waste, right? And while there are uses for it, it's not the highest and best use, especially when the nutrition that we need that's been removed from that grain, we then have to get from other sources. It just puts more pressure on ecosystems, it creates more waste, and it just creates unnecessarily complicated supply chains, right? So 
I think a lot of you joining us are probably Forks Over Knives affiliated or, or students or at least interested. So you know that there's just a lot of you know, whole food plant-based interest, uh, which aligns with a lot of environmental interests as well. So, all right, let's go through some of the ones that we have in front of us. All right. Yeah, what do you got first? Ooh, I've got red boulder. <laughs> I think we have another boulder too, don't we? I don't think so. This one? I love the presentation. Ooh, we have. <laughs> yes. I love boulder. Main ingredient tabbouleh. I was going to say, I make tabbouleh with it. That is... What, and what tabula do you make? What's you put in your tabula? <laughs> like everything in my house, it's what, <laughs> what do I have? <laughs> and tabula typically is a an herb as much as a grain salad. So we have a lot of mint and basil in my garden. So frequently it's mint and basil. And tomatoes make their way in there. Cucumbers usually because my daughter mm -hmm. loves cucumbers. So so tonight I'm probably going to make some, uh, some well, wheat berry sort of tabula type salad. So I'm going to take, you see behind us, I've got a red oh, curry squash. Cute little butternuts. I know, aren't Honey they nuts. so cute? Have you seen these? They're not a grain, but they're so cute. Look at these things. And that's the right amount of butternut squash. Right? Right? A little honey nuts. Yes. Super cute. Honey nut squash. So this is a recent, uh, I wouldn't say invention, but breed uh, by actually a friend of ours, Dan Barber, <clears throat> chef down at Stone Barns. He worked with Cornell University. This is definitely a side sidebar to whole grains. <laughs> he worked with Cornell University plant breeders to come up with basically a better butternut. Uh, and while the benefits of this are, you know, significant just to the, the working family and people that don't have, you know, what am I supposed to do with four and a half pounds of butternut squash? Like it's sort of when the ingredient decides that the ingredient is the only thing you're eating <laughs> this week, uh, it's kind of annoying, but like this, that's perfect. It's just enough butternut squash to dice up and roast uh, and throw in with your whole grain salad. So tonight, yeah, I've got a leftover half bunch of parsley, half bunch of cilantro. We've got like three radishes, which is entirely unhelpful <laughs> to have three radishes in your fridge, but I have three radishes. So yeah, that'll all go in with the salad with the, the wheat That's berries. Sort of what's great about grains. They are endlessly versatile. This is true. Bulk up your three radishes. Yes, it'd be a sad <laughs> meal. Hello children, have your three radishes. Anyway, uh, so bulgur wheat. Bulgur wheat is great because it can just be soaked. Um, you know, you can cook it as well, but uh, the, the bulgur, the uh, tabbouleh that my dad made for me when I was a kid was just soaking it for a couple of hours. Uh, this makes it a really great addition to morning breakfast cereals. You can add it into oats, you know, an overnight, what do they call those? Overnight oats. Overnight oat, folks. Heard it here first. Um <laughs> <clears throat> is something I like to do. A little bit of maple syrup in there, some honey, etc. <clears throat> Excuse me. You've got a really nice, really nice dish for the morning. So bulgur wheat is great, uh, and that's just basically cracked wheat, right? Correct. Yeah, it's whole grain red wheat. So what we're cooking over here, um, just rolled and just rolled over to crack it. So Bob's Red Mill, by the way, is a really great, great source uh, for these. So we get these at our local stores, uh, just the regular grocery stores. Typically has a good selection of Bob's Red Mill these days. <clears throat> um, I like the company. They're an ethical company. I believe they are a, they might even, I think they might be a B Corp, uh, which means they have a... Um, King so, Arthur is, I don't think Bob's Red okay. Mill is. All right, well, anyway, it's a good company. So next thing, next up. Oh, it's wheat berries. Ooh. 
Now, are those the pre-cooked sweet berries? We have another. This is what we have in. In the pot. In the pot. I think these ones, yeah, this is cooks in 15 minutes. Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> yeah, just as you have parboiled rice, you see you can have sort of parboiled uh, green, uh, grain, whole grains. Rice is a whole grain. So, well, brown rice is a whole grain. So these, you know, the recipe on the bag of the, on the, on the box of this is well, red wheat berries, 30 to 40 minutes. We've been cooking ours for about 50 minutes. Oh, well, that's for the pre-soak. Pre-soak, so, yeah. Oftentimes yeah. you soak these similarly to how do you cook beans. Soak them overnight, drain them, then cook them again. Or cook them. Yes. So uh, the quick cook ones, I didn't do any research to see if there is a reduced vitamin, mineral, nutrient load in these, uh, any reduced nutrition. But I, I can imagine there might be just because some of them, some of that is sort of activated by heat and water. Uh, or even just a soaking process. So I imagine that there is some slight loss, but it's just that slight and certainly not a reason to not use them, uh, in my opinion, because you know what? Honestly, I don't really have time for this. I, I just don't. I mean, unless it's on a Sunday and I've put on the baseball playoffs game, go Phillies, and I'm just back here drinking a glass of wine and cooking, and it's something that I can have simmering away for hours because I'm going to be in my kitchen for hours and sort of attendant to this, right? Well, yeah, maybe I can get away with this and cook enough for the week as I sometimes do. Uh, yeah, but if the difference between actually using them and not using them out of convenience means you lose possibly a scant bit of nutrition, go for the quick, quick ones, right? All right, what do we got next? Here we go. We have farro. I love farro. Farro is my go-to soup grain. It is? It is. And I Tell me about farro. Is this farro? Yeah. I'm, I'm a Trader Joe's fan, to say the least. So I buy this one, which is pre-cooked. <laughs> she, she, she goes on dates with her husband to Trader Joe's. It's on the way home. It's the it's, end of the night. It's wonderful. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just throw it right in any soup I'm making. Nutty, but not overly flavorful on its own. It sort of soaks up the, the delicious broth I've already made. I never used it in a casserole, but I like that idea. Ooh. Thank you, Bob's Red Mill. Excellent soups, casserole, <laughs> salads, and pilafs. There you go. A hearty grain with a chewy texture and rich, nutty flavor, circa 8,000 BC, is yep. what it says there. So, well, there you go. Um, what's the difference between farrow and barley? That's a good question. Barley is a. It looks very similar. They do it? look similar. They don't taste always the same. Hmm. I don't know the answer. Pearl Faro is a wheat. I'm looking at what the package thing. This is also a wheat. Okay. Okay. Know. Do you want to pretend that you know this? <laughs> we're, we're getting che cheating here. Yeah, Patrick's talking in our ear yeah, here. So it, look, so it looks like Faro has a little bit more protein perhaps, but they're pretty similar. Yeah. So if you have ever had a beef barley soup or just a barley corn soup, et cetera, uh, farro works perfectly well in replacement of that. Uh, both farro and barley have the great advantage that they don't fall apart when they're cooked. Yeah. Uh, and such, you can make them in these long, slow braised soups, like a beef and barley soup. They retain that chewy texture. That makes them perfect for uh, using, you know, like a vegetarian chili. 
Uh, they really do add that bulk, that nutrition, as well as that meaty chewiness that that's so craveable. They soak up flavors and really carry uh, sort of it, it sort of help to marry and carry flavors throughout an entire dish. So um, barley, might as well get into that one yeah. next, uh, is slightly smaller, a little bit less oblong, uh, lighter in color lighter here. In color, so sure. if you can see in there, you've got the two different colors. Um, one being a little bit more, hold on a second, I've got a phone call coming in that I need to, there Silence. you go. Silence, there you go. Um, <clears throat> so just as we said with the farro, the barley is just that. And this is what we use uh, in, in the house. I mean, we bought these just to show off and then to use and, and figure out, but really this 10 minute farro of the quick cook stuff is where it's at. You've got a four-year-old, I have a four-year-old and a 14-year-old. 14, yep. Yeah, I got a two and a six-year-old. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it's whatever works mm -hmm. is the best option always. All right, let's take another couple of questions and then we will dive back into, we got a couple more varieties here and then I've got a couple of recipe ideas that I wanna share with you. We're not cooking much today of anything. Um, yeah, so flaxseed versus chia can they be used interchangeably is one better than the other uh can both be used as an egg mixture that's new to me can both be used as a thickener from luan thank you for your great question <laughs> I, I do know my way around some flaxseed and some okay chia. cool i'm so happy with this. <laughs> so interchangeably depending on what you're using them for a lot of times you know you'll make a a bread and top it with flaxseed to have a little texture. I wouldn't use chia for that. So, mm. and I also, I, you can put flaxseed in your pudding, but I think that might be kind of gross. I think chia is definitely better for that. Um, but in terms of throwing them in a smoothie or putting them in a salad, yes, put them together. They're both very highly nutritious. Flax has a little bit more anti antioxidants um, and maybe a little more um, omega-3s, the ALA, but generally they're, they're both very good sources of that. So certainly you can use them both in a lot of, I mean, just as a yogurt or granola topping for sure. Um, is one better than the other? Again, depending on what you like it for. Um, if you want to make a, you know, a boba tea type thing, Chia definitely is your, your friend there. That is boba tea. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Flaxseed is also hard. You can't really digest it when it's in its whole form. Is that correct? Like the body has so. a lot of problem yeah. breaking down the bran. So you true. really yeah, sort of need a, a crushed or flaxseed meal. Meal, yeah. Uh, it's sort of, I mean, it'll scrub your intestines on the way through. That's all. It was described to me in, in an early nutrition class, which oh. sounds disgusting. Okay. But <laughs> there well, you go. Whatever. So what about egg, egg, eggs? Egg. Egg, eggs. Sorry, I said it's that like my father-in-law, who is, who is a native Mainer. Who has a significant accent? Egg mixture. So, as an egg substitute, there are people who use flaxseed and um, chia as egg substitutes or thickeners. If it works in your recipe, great. Um, it never has worked terribly well for me. I also eat eggs, so I don't substitute very often. I have one friend who's allergic to eggs, so for her, we've made a bunch of cakes. Um, and honestly, the best thing to substitute for eggs is just seltzer water. Um, we've also used Sprite before for cakes, and that works really well. Um, 
does not have any nutrition there. So sticking to the whole food plant does not stuff. have yeah, the nutrition, true. but just just plain sparkling water would work well. Um, the kitchen did a test <laughs> a little while ago. We can pull up that link. K i t c h n. Yes, the no kitchen. There. Um, if you just Google that with egg GF, substitute, egg substitute, I think yeah. that article will come up. Um, and yes, other you can use bananas instead of eggs. Obviously, that would have a banana flavor. Um, and then if you're depending, I mean, depending on what you're using, there are various ways. Mm -hmm. So with chia seeds, chia seeds is something I have around the house for uh, uh, smoothies in the morning as well. Flaxseed meal as well is good for that. So the omega-3s that Katie mentioned, those are the short chain omega-3 fatty acids, the ALA, alpha linoleic acids. Uh, those are not the uh, omega-3s that are associated with the very overwhelmingly positive <laughs> Uh, health outcomes that and those really come from uh, seafood really is, is the the very best and, and really sort of the only uh, feasible source of those. Walnuts have them, other nut, other foods have them, but they're in very small quantities. Seafood really is there. So uh, the ALAs though, the other omega-3 acids are, are very much healthy for us and, and are necessary. Um, but the chia seeds are, these are uh, something that like the ultra marathon runners of Mexico uh, have historically used for for uh, maintaining hydration because yeah, they soak up because they soak up they soak up a huge amount of yeah. water and in your stomach they do the same. So when I'm off to the gym or off on a run, like I'll even swallow a couple of tablespoons of uh, chia seeds and then down a bunch of water. I don't know if it actually helps. <laughs> But I do it. And that's, you know, isn't that the case with most, uh, with a lot of nutrition and certainly gym quick fixes? Like, I sure hope this is going to work. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there you go. Hey, Luann, thanks so much for your question. I really appreciate it. From Karen L., what is considered the most nutritious grain? Uh, the one you're eating. <laughs> you know, I mean, I honestly, they're all so good for us, the whole grains. They're all so good for us. They have varying amounts of protein and fiber and all the other things and phytonutrients and vitamin B and all that. But bottom line is really the grain that you want to put into your face is the one that's going to be healthiest for you. So if you develop a, you know, affinity for buckwheat um, and, and that's just your thing, great. There it is. Uh, in fact, buckwheat sometimes is mentioned as the most nutritious of them. Uh, quinoa is often mentioned, uh, though it is not a whole grain. It is treated like such in our culinary cultures. Um, so that, uh, is one of the few food, food only plant-based foods that has all three, uh, amino acids, making it a complete protein so that you don't need to mix say beans with your rice as you do to have to get to a, a full protein there. Uh, quinoa is a plant-based source of that. So sometimes you can sort of consider it that way, that it is the most nutritious, but really this is sort of not a category of superlatives or competition here uh, because it is overwhelmingly so good for us uh, that it is overwhelmingly sort of cheap or inexpensive way to get a lot of great nutrition into our diets and really provide a bulk of our diets. Uh, so, yeah. I would say it's also it's similar to fruits and vegetables. They all have slightly different components to them. So mix it up. Don't eat the same one you ate all last week, unless you really love one and eat that instead of white, white rice and that's yeah. fine. 
yeah, if you fall in love with one and that's that's your main one, but please experiment with it. <laughs> Diversity is the cornerstone of sustainability. It's the cornerstone of health. Uh, so eat diversely, eat richly, and you don't have to be rich in order to do that with whole grains. Yeah. There's your little sound bite. I like that sound Cool. Bite. All right. Uh, from Ung Sang W. Hi, friends. What are the most important kitchen utensils? You ready for this? You know what I'm going to say, don't I you? I do. Yeah. Your right hand and your left hand. <laughs> Seriously, almost everything can be done with your hands. I, you can't chop things with your hands, I, it, admittedly. But uh, one thing I will say is like, you know, the kitchen stores love to sell you all sorts of fancy gadgets, like a monogrammed, initialed jalapeno popper branding iron. Mm. Mm. That probably does exist, huh? I think it does, actually, <laughs> yes. I just tried to go as, as extremely ridiculous no, as, 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 I, as I could there. Um, there are a lot of very useful kitchen tools. Uh, I have all of them. Yes, I have all of them. <laughs> We've written eight cookbooks together, Jamie and I, uh, out of this house. Uh, so we have giant drawers of all sorts of stuff that we, we've used. Katie, I'm going to dig around. Why don't you, you tell dig them? around? No, you got plenty of space. Oh, okay. Why don't you dig around? Why don't you talk to them? Talk to them about my favorite kitchen tools? Yeah, talk to them about your favorite kitchen tools. If I, could, I only need, if I only had two things, definitely a sharp kitchen knife would be my first. Mm -hmm. Probably just a spoon, honestly, something to stir a hot pot with, because I do not have asbestos hands. You can reach your hand into boiling water and pull something out, but I don't do that. Yeah. All right. So the three things that I, yeah, it's so important I can't even find it. So. All right. We'll go with that. We'll go with sharp knife. Uh, and therefore, along with a sharp knife comes the sharpening of knife material. So a good steel, a good whetstone, uh, you know, as I do, I sharpen my knives, you know, every week and a half or so. Or just the guy at the farmer's market who does it for you. Yeah. Or, the, the, or the hardware store down yeah, the street. Um, you know, Ace and True Value sometimes have that. So I'd say that a good sharp knife and whatever is needed in your life to keep that knife sharp. Uh, also, just a good spoon, spatula, stir flipper, etc. I tend to use uh, tools that can do all of those things that have a slightly that have a slightly beveled edge to them. It obviously doesn't need to be sharp, but can I turn a piece of fish with this? Yes, I can get under it to turn it over using the most useful tool, your hands, right? I can stir a pot, I can scrape a pot out as I'm trying to get something. You, know, you can do everything with this and wood works on every cooking surface, no matter how delicate it is, how nonstick it is, how sticky it is, how durable it is, wood works on everything, right? You just have to keep them, you know, be mindful of it so they don't burn when they're hanging <laughs> off the pot if you've got gas stove, uh, et cetera. But I would say those two are it. The other things that I reach for just constantly is a pair of tongs. That's what I had in my restaurants, is just what we used. I can do anything with a pair of tongs as delicately as I can with my hands or as chefs do with a pair of tweezers or um, you see now using chopsticks, et cetera. It's just that really great tool for manipulation uh, whenever you need to reach and grab something that I cook, you know, I cook, I'm, I'm, I am an omnivore, so I'm cooking meat, I'm cooking hamburgers, not often, but I, I cook seafood a, a lot. Uh, Tongs are very useful for that sort of large item. Uh, 
you know, do you need them if you're a vegetarian cook? Uh, it's not so often that you're cooking very large amounts of things uh, or sort of large things themselves. So you know, in that case, peritonics might not be as needed. Cool. You want to talk about one more and then we'll yeah, let's do one it. more of these. Cool. What time do we have? Yeah, we're doing good. Let's, well, let's stay, keep to some questions. We got a lot of them. Wow. We got a lot of questions. Oh, it's so good to we're have so chatty. many of you here. Yeah, we are too chatty. <laughs> let's, you know, I, I, let's not show them anymore because that's just kind of talking. But um, uh, hi, Marcy J. Nice to see you, friend. Great topic. I'm doing a weekend catering. Oh, you just disappeared up here. There you go. I'm doing a weekend catering event. I need to pre prep and freeze some items in advance as I always. I'm away until two days prior to the event. A year of frozen brown rice, quinoa, sorghum, et cetera, for later use. Again, you look at me as if I constantly am freezing things, but I am. Ah. <laughs> um, so with a catering event, you certainly can freeze brown rice, quinoa. I've not done sorghum, but I don't under, I don't think it'd don't be any different. I don't eat a lot of sorghum. I don't think it'd be not any different. There are a couple of different ways you can do it. Um, typically, you spread it on a sheet tray and freeze it as quickly as you can in a single layer. Then it will also thaw significantly faster. Don't just take your giant pot and put it in the oven, or excuse me, in the freezer. Um, with, yeah. with risottos and such, you can get them to 90% you know, done and then just finish them day of. That works pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, Whole grains all make wonderful risottos on that same page. Yeah, on that yeah, um, topic. Yeah, wheat berries make great. Oh, I made a wonderful oat groat one time for a catering event in a giant pot. Say that again. Oat groat. Oat groat. Oat groat. Uh, oat groat is essentially the whole grain version of oatmeal. Oatmeal is also a whole grain, whole grain but if it crushed. Yes, yeah. but if you so it's it's even more whole than the steel cut because it has not been cut at all. Um, so that's always fun. Yeah, I had to do a all local event in Maine in November, and there was a potato blight that year. So oat groats was our hmm. peel off of choice. We don't grow now, of course, we grow tons and tons of beautiful grains. Yeah, but... and a large part of that is we have a, a very large in, uh, influx of Somali uh, and Eastern African immigrants here that are bringing a lot of their you know, traditional food mm -hmm. products to Maine uh, and growing them here on farms, thus making everyone's life better. Really does. So, but yes, uh, Marcy, to, to your question very specifically, yes, you can absolutely freeze them, putting them in, uh, you know, as Katie was saying, small portioned bags, uh, you know, can be a waste of plastic. If you can do it on a sheet tray, as I know you've got some for your, for your catering operations, that's the best way to do it. Maybe put a piece of uh, wax paper or parchment paper on top of it just to protect it from drying out. You don't want to you know, dehydrate it, freeze dry it, et cetera. But um, yeah, absolutely. There's no reason why you can't do that. It's not going to affect the integrity or the flavor too much. So if you don't have the freezer space, you can also rent just a giant rice rice maker and almost any grain works in a rice maker also. Yeah. And cook it very quickly without having to really pay much attention to it. So that's the whole point of them. All right. From another one from Luanna, making my own pasta. Is it really healthier? Can I substitute pureed spinach water or beet water? Uh, instead of egg water, any tips? Mm, Looking at you. Looking at me again. You can certainly you can certainly infuse purees mm -hmm. into it. Uh, purees have a good deal of water in them, um, so certainly you can do that. Uh, beet water 
beet juice. I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be a straight substitute yeah. for um, spinach. Those leaves are so delicate. I would just make that a puree rather than trying to juice it. Uh, so you get the full, full vegetable in there you get a huge amount of color out of that as well. Uh, is it healthier? Well, if you're adding, adding vegetables into it, mm -hmm. yes, because you're adding nutrition just in place of water, right? Um, is it otherwise healthier? I wouldn't say so necessarily. Um, I mean, is it healthier than the box of Prince pasta you get on the shelf? Maybe, but so is anything you're going to make at home yourself in terms of nutrient retention, but it'll be a lot more fun and probably really, really good. Mm -hmm. That said, you can also get really good pasta these days. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of artisan pasta makers, and, but it sounds like, I mean, you've got a lot of creative ideas yeah. that you're, you're pursuing here. So by all means, yeah, go do it. Uh, and there are indeed a be lot of recipes that don't have eggs in it for pasta. Yeah. There's so. a lot of just water yeah. and flour recipes and it's all just elbow grease at that point. So yeah. All right. Do I have a mandolin recommendation? Luan, you've got all the great yeah, questions, questions today. Here. Yes. The uh, Benriner, B-E-N-R-I-N-E-R, -E -E oftentimes called the Japanese mandolin. Uh, I have uh, three of these, but I don't need three of them. Uh, just had them for various uses and bought them for catering events or large scale dinners that I was doing. Uh, these are easily found within shops in Chinatown, Asian markets. Uh, they're also, of course, available online. They are far less expensive than the French mandolin, which is a product that I simply just do not recommend. Like I've just never been a fan of the French mandolin, the big metal contraption that looks like somebody was like looking at the guillotine and was like, oh, oh, hey, I've got some potatoes at home. Yeah. Like, it's just it's just overdone and it never stays sharp and you cut the crap out of yourself that's the one thing about a mandolin like you will like, they don't tell you this on the box they do say to be careful and they add a little guide to it but it's like i hope you like fingertips in your food because yes you're going to cut yourself until you get very good at a mandolin and when you are mandolining anything that is all that you are doing yes. you are not no one is talking to you nothing is in your mind, you are meditating solely upon the mandolin and the job at hand. Otherwise, I hope you like fingertips. Sorry to be crass about it. I don't mean to be crude. All right. Hey, Luann, you got great <laughs> questions. I really love seeing you here. I would love some whole food plant-based recipes for sorghum, please. Uh, you know what? I'll be right back. Katie can. Oh, I thought you were going to whip out a recipe or something. No, 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 no. Oh. I'm going to go get a recipe book. Ah. Sorghum, honestly, any other whole grain you can sub sorghum in for. Um, I like to use sorghum actually in stuffed peppers. Ooh, yep, that's, that's nice. a good one. I like to use all whole grains and stuffed peppers. And I pretty much like to stuff whole grains with any number of things into a pepper. My daughters love peppers. So it's one of those things that pretty much I can put anything in it and they will eat it. So I recommend that. Cool. Ooh, that looks good. All right. So uh, the book that I'm looking at is Grist. Uh, this is by an author, Abra Behrens, uh, that I have just fallen in love with. I think her cooking, her style of cuisine, just her, the way th she thinks about food uh, is just entirely lovely. Um, and just you get the sense that she is too. 
just in the way that she approaches things. And I've just, I've fallen in love with her books. She has Grist, I think another one called Ruffage. Uh, but this is what I would go to. It's just got a whole lot of really great recipes for all sorts of whole grains. And as Katie said, they're basically interchangeable entirely. Uh, you know, cooking times might differ, but there again, we have this wonderful sheet for you to download. Uh, just beneath my face there is that grain cooking times. So a great doc there. There you go. Judith T. Oh, it wouldn't be an event without seeing my dear friend Judith T. Thanks for coming back. If you believe, give some suggestions for side dishes that integrate various grains. Love your coastal tabbouleh from 2FYC. Thank you. Uh, I haven't thought about that recipe in a very long time. I have no idea what's in it. Limbet kelp. Hmm. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so coastal tabbouleh, so kelp is a really great one. So tabbouleh is wonderful. Um, it's very easy. And as Katie said earlier, it's sort of great for using up what you got, those three radishes, et cetera, all your leftover herbs, you know, a handful of cherry tomatoes that you've got still on the vine. Um, even here in Maine, there's still like three tomatoes out there. Yeah. Um, so tabbouleh are great. What I really love are roasted vegetables with... Uh, whole grains and just that that sweetness that pairs with the nuttiness of the grains are really great so one tip for almost all whole grains is to toast them first before cooking uh, just activates a lot of the oils and natural flavors that are in the bran which is that outer, outer covering uh, you don't need to toast them deeply but just to sort of activate those oils and those flavors first uh, whether that's sauteing them in a little bit of olive oil before you make your pilaf, toasting them dry in an oven before you make a pilaf, etc., It really just brings out so much more flavor. Think about just steamed rice versus rice pilaf, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it seems like entirely different dishes even. Um, so there you go. Uh, a couple of other ones. So you know, roasted butternut squash, throw some radishes on there, some parsnips, throw it in there. Sweetness is a really great component uh, of a, a really great contrast to the nuttiness, the earthiness of whole grains. Acidity also works really well, especially sweet acidity in the form of citrus. So mixing, uh, you know, lime juice in there with roasted butternut squash, some parsley or cilantro and some red wheat berries would be fantastic. You know, it's, it has just a hint of sort of that Asian flavor well, Southeast Asian flavor from the lime and cilantro, but it doesn't take the dish outside. You know, it's still compatible with anything else you're going to put on the plate. So fresh herbs, roasted vegetables, wheat berries, or any, any whole grain, citrus juices. If you need a little bit more sweetness, mix some orange juice along with your lime juice there. So another thing that's really great are uh, roasted beets. You know, a beet salad, or well, just say something that is mostly beets, Roasted beets, boiled beets that are then diced up, not marinated in a little bit of citrus juice or red wine vinegar and some olive oil tossed with some uh, whole grains. And something really great to do with whole grains is once you've cooked them, uh, dry them, you know, strain them, dry them, uh, pat them dry with some paper towels and then put a little <laughs> olive oil on them or not and just put them on a sheet tray in a single layer and throw them in the oven until they crisp and they pop and they get all sorts of yummy goodness, crunchy, textured, all that. And with that beet idea, I'm a big fan of raw beet salads. So take a beet, just scrub it down with a brush on the outside. I don't peel it. Uh, there's lots of good nutrition in there and great flavor. Uh, shred it on a box grater on the large, on the large uh, holes. 
and then mix that with some cooked whole grains, a good amount of salt, some lemon juice, and a really great spicy olive oil would be tremendous. I love that. All right. Next question. Mark F. Hey, Jeff. I'd like to know if you generally recommend or prefer, uh, or prefer to cook your grains with water or vegetable stock and with or without salt. Uh, water, if I'm mixing it into a larger dish, stock is a great addition if you are just serving it sort of steamed, simmered on its own on the side. Uh, that's really the only component there. Like if you're mixing it into that beet salad that I was just mentioning, you really don't need that veg stock backbone of flavor in there. Uh, the only thing that I might say is I love a good charred onion. Uh, so start off in a dry pan, take an onion, cut it in half, uh, peel the skin off, and then get your pan rip-roaring hot and put your onion straight in it until it's charred, blacked, and brown, like on one on that cut side down. And then throw in your grains, toast them just a little bit, throw in some water. And what that does is it adds such a sweetness and earthiness, but that robust smokiness as well. That is so wonderful. Uh, a bay leaf I is, bay leaves. I love me some bay leaves. I buy bay leaves <laughs> by the pound. You know how much a pound of bay leaves is? It's a lot of bay leaves. Uh, some bay leaves in there. Throw some fennel seeds in there as well. Uh, those will, yes, those will stay in the dish, but they'll, they will hydrate mm. uh, and become a nice texture uh, and a nice contrast. So there you go. Cool. Always salt. Always salt. At the beginning or at the end? I salt the water. She salts the water. I'd agree with her. <laughs> All right. You read off the next question. I love my electric pressure cooker. What do you think of this option? All right. Thanks, Lynn. I do not have an electric pressure cooker, nor have I ever used one. Nor have I. So I, I can't answer that. I've used in. I will say that a pressure cooker we've used. Yeah, we've used pressure cookers. So yes, it's a great option. So yeah, I, it significantly cuts down on the time of things. That timing, I don't know. So you might want to look around on that um, all-knowing internet thing. Uh, for... There's probably a book that came with it. Yeah, there's probably a book that came <laughs> with it, but it might not include whole grains as this is sort of outside of the yeah, typical um, American diet. Would you check on Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, I don't see any, any difference uh, or any... Katie's so excited about the wheat berries. Um, did you put a bay leaf in there? Or any fennel seeds? I did not. Wow. Just plain wheat berries. Plain wheat berries. And they All may right. be done by the time we're done. They might be done by the time we're done <laughs> with you. Uh, yeah, so I don't see any reason why you shouldn't use that, Lynn. Thanks for your question. Great to have you here. Luan, again. Hey there. Luan, maybe. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, so. I hope I got it right either way. I'd like to grind my own flour, whether it be whole wheat or other, to make my own pasta, bread, etc. When replacing all-purpose flour and recipes with fresh ground flour, is it one to one, half to half, or maintain to maintain texture and rise? You're turn to me. I could feel that coming. You, you did. Didn't you? <laughs> you did. So, with any recipe, if you're straight up substituting and replacing AP flour, it's just gonna be a test and see kind of thing. Um, you can find recipes that are developed with wheat flour to start with. Um, but if you're just swapping out, half and half is usually a good place to start. Um, or even three to one AP to whatever flour you're using. You know, if you're making an angel food cake, maybe not. You don't use teff flour. But if you're making bread, 
go ahead and substitute whatever percentage you want. Would I would you say call that just like a misbehaving human cake. Indeed, I think so. so it's the fallen angel. Fallen angel. Maybe. Okay. Fallen angel cake. There you go. I don't know. Lucifer of cakes. No, no that's no, a devil's yeah, cake. You're getting, you're getting now I'm getting dark. too dark. You're getting dark. All right, let's wheel it back. All right, yeah, wheel it back. Uh, but grinding your own flour is a, that's an effort of love. Uh, so I, I admire you for doing this, especially because then you're going to juice your own beets and make your own pasta with it. Uh, so good for you for just yeah, diving into it. Yeah, send us a picture it. of your final recipe. Yeah, would you? Sure. Barton at Ruby.com. I'd love to see. I'd love to see what you what you create with these. Um, but in general, for every cup of whole wheat flour that you substitute in, you increase by increase the liquid by about two tablespoons, one and a half to two tablespoons. Um, and that's the end of my baking advice. <laughs> All right. From Georgie. Hi, friend. I've been reading about white whole wheat flour and baking recipes recently and wondered what it is exactly. It seems to be a light uh, whole grain pastry flour. Your thoughts and uh, clarification. We appreciate it. White whole grain flour. <laughs> so we've got red wheat berries here. Uh, there are white wheat berries. It's just a form of. It's just a form of wheat. Uh, it is no different from. I don't think it has any real different culinary qualities uh, or sort of chemical qualities, meaning the chemistry of baking. Uh, so yeah, that's all it is. It's. I mean, just like you have uh, orange carrots and red carrots and yellow carrots. Yeah, this is just a different kind of wheat. So that's all it is. So whole, whole, white whole wheat flour is, for all intents and purposes, the same as you know, sort of regular brownish whole wheat flour. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, quick ingredient query again from Georgie. Sorghum molasses availability history recommended use. So sorghum is uh, big on the is is a, a major component of diets on the African continent, and sorghum came over. Uh, in the unfortunate slave trade and uh, was part a big part of Southern cuisine because of that still is. Sorghum syrup is absolutely delicious. You can find it uh, online. There's a number of good sources. I would look for, um, you know, if you can try and find a black owned business uh, that's doing that, uh, just respecting that heritage. Uh, I believe that that is a great thing to do at all times to try and respect the heritage of, of the products that you are using, but it is absolutely delicious. It has a, a very deep, rich flavor. So it's kind of crossed between maple syrup and um, molasses, if you will, like as a, as a flavor. Uh, but it is a one-to-one -one substitute as far as I'm, I'm concerned with, with sugar in terms of baking recipes. So there you go. Great. Cool. Marcy J. Hey, friend. Hey, by the way, I made the butternut squash hummus from your recommendation. It turned out amazing. Awesome. That's I'll be putting this combo to good use. You got it. You got it, Marcy. That's awesome. I'm glad you made that. So the dish she's talking about is I fire up a grill outside. I even I just finished my five foot wide Argentine wood grill. <laughs> I'm so happy about it. Uh, but I do a lot of cooking in embers, whether it's roasting beets, roasting butternut squash, take the whole butternut squash. Put it right in the embers, take your tongs or your asbestos hands, best cooking tool there is, turn it over once. Will it burn? Yes, it will burn. That's kind of the purpose. Uh, and then pull it out when it's nice and soft and then uh, try and get it in one whole piece. So use a pair of tongs and maybe a spatula underneath it. And then once it's cool enough to touch, you can just easily peel off that burned skin. Don't, re don't worry if any little flaky bits burned get into there uh, and then puree it as you would just a straight replacement or you know, as a substitute for some of the chickpeas in a traditional hummus. Yummy. Yummy. It's Katie's favorite thing. I've it ever really heard. is. It's, it's the one thing I asked for for my baby shower yeah. for the menu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's 
Cool. All right. From Kathy C, cornmeal, polenta, and masa harina. Is there a difference between these three? Can they be used interchangeably? Um, cornmeal, from what I understand, uh, it's basically just the grind. Is it not? I think so. And there are, yeah, because there are various grinds and colors of cornmeal mm -hmm. and you can get coarse well. cornmeal, you can get fine cornmeal, you can get fine polenta, you can get coarse polenta. Is masa harina nixtamalized though? I think masa harina might have the alkaline something yeah. because it does have a different flavor. I tried to make a corn cake several years ago that my husband had in his mind and I thought it was, it must, he's Puerto Rican, which I, I assumed it was a, you know, sort of Hispanic flavored corn cake. Yeah, he just meant he wanted corn flour in it. So it was not the right. Yeah. But so I do think that. Yeah. So I think I think they're pretty much the same thing. Uh, I, I don't know about nixtamalization process is when you add an alkaline substance, basically when you add lye to corn um, to make hominy. Uh, this is a big process in uh, Mexican cuisine that I really don't understand much, but I know it is a, a very hot trend. Uh, just sort of drawing on and hearkening back to the deep respect that uh, Mexican and, and all Latin American cuisines have for for corn, sort of the, the food of life. So, yeah, they, can they use be used interchangeably? I think pretty much so. Probably in I a savory your, application. Your masa so. is going to cook a lot quicker if you're making a polenta style dish mm -hmm. with it. You're making really more a porridge, um, you know, sort of cream of wheat type thing. But uh, cornmeal uh, polenta can typically have uh, a lot more. So cornmeal is pretty universal like there's no coloration to it you know it's, it's a little bit yellow but uh polenta tends to be made from what i understand so and i even grew a bunch of polenta or flint corn varieties this year all native american varieties uh here on my farm and they're purple and they're red and they're multiple you know sort of explosion of rainbow colored uh and so in really good really flavored well like heirloom varietal corn polentas you're going to get a lot more color out of them so you know you're going to have different types of corn so there's dent corn and there's flint corn uh those are basically you know corn that's meant to be eaten off the cob or corn that's meant to be eaten simmered and uh you know flaked after being dried so there you go from Monique R. Hey there, just recently found teff. Just bought several kinds of teff, whole wheat, broken flour, and now I'm wondering if it's possible to make a bread with teff, preferably salt, oil, sugar free. I have never made a full teff bread. I've made injera before, the Ethiopian bread. flat bread, yeah. um, which is lovely, and I would highly recommend you try to make that. Um, I would imagine you can use it to bake in. Yeah. To make a I don't know exactly. I, maybe you could look up on, on the internet, uh, you know, that all-knowing internet thing, <laughs> uh, substitution for uh, teff and AP flour. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what it would be as 100% there, but certainly if you can substitute in whole wheat flour, uh, you know, with the addition of a little bit more liquid, as I just mentioned, for every cup of AP flour you remove, mm -hmm and replaced with whole wheat flour, you add in about two more tablespoons of liquid. I don't know what that ratio would be with teff flour. So uh, despite having grown up in an Ethiopian Eritrean <laughs> community, as I did, uh, I've never really used the product much outside of making the injera or the bread uh, that they use to eat their food with, which I think is, well, 
that's my comfort food. It's my my greatest and favorite food in the world, Eritrean and Ethiopian food. So yeah, that's like it's what I grew up with. <laughs> All right, from Kathy C, can you give me some tips for baking non-gluten flour such as oat, almond, rice, etc., instead of the traditional gluten-free flour? Gluten-free often has a different texture. That is a turnoff for some people. I love anything yeah. that has to do with science and I baking. Guess there you go. Mm. Um, this is why I asked Katie to join us today because she has a deep history with this stuff. My, my nephew is is gluten-free. So I do a lot of gluten-free baking, but I'll be honest with you. I use the cup for cup or the, I think King Arthur brand has a, has a gluten-free and it's some combination generally of arrowroot and rice flour and whatever else. Um, there are a lot of good ones out there. You just got to find the one that works for you. Otherwise just make macaroons and use almond flour for everything. Right? <laughs> yes. When in doubt, just make macaroons. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Best recommendation for gluten-free diets. Thanks. Nancy W. I'm not sure. Uh, teff flour um, is, is suitable for celiacs. Should be. Um, Sorghum so. is a grass, mm -hmm. so that should have no, I actually don't, I could go through and figure out what all of them are. Check your packaging on every single one also because Oatmeal, for example, oats, they should be gluten-free, but frequently they are not just in the way they're processed. Um, Bob's Red Mill is really good about labeling and making sure and separating Separation, things so. out. Um, yeah, I know most of these are, most of the ones we have in front yeah. of us are wheat-based. Yeah, try the teff flour though, I, just for flavor and, and what's out there. I just, I think it's such a incredible. In, in, I mean, I, I love injera, which is what I know it from. I-N-J-E-R-A, injera. Um, but um, yeah, that's what I recommend. So, all right. From Ozzy. Hey, friend. If you're, if you're not adding meat to your collard, mustard, and turnip greens as base for seasoning, what would you use to enhance the flavor and richness of the dish? Ooh. Great question. Great question. I'm going to say smoked sweet paprika. Oh, that's a good one. Smoked sweet paprika is one of my absolute go-to uh, ingredients. So also known as Spanish pimenton. Uh, go with the smoked sweet. I don't like the mild. I don't like the spicy. I just, I don't think that their heat is really well balanced. And it's not necessarily what you want in that dish anyway. So paprikas and any pepper-based product is best when bloomed in some form of fat whether it's just a scant bit of oil or some butter, et cetera. I understand that if you're not using meat, you might not be using butter. You might not, you might be oil free. In that case, you can just toast it in the bottom of a pan before you add your liquid. You don't want to toast it for much more than 30 seconds or so, but it adds this smoky, sweet, very seductive underpinning to any dish it's cooked in. Uh, true of any whole grains, et cetera. It even, punctuates even more that smokiness that richness that nuttiness of things uh, so that really works uh is as a base to it i think you know if you're making a blend of mustard turnip and collard you're probably making a fairly big batch of it so if you're doing one bunch each of those maybe even just a tablespoon of smoked sweet paprika would do uh, it adds a huge amount of flavor fennel seeds Another just one of my go-to favorites. Is it going to add some texture? Yes. They're going to simmer down though. They're going to take on that water. They'll integrate quite a bit. Uh, yes, you'll see them, but they add a flavor and a balance and a richness and a complexity to a dish that is just so compelling. 
Um, and so just another tablespoon of whole fennel seeds would, would do. Um, yeah, I would also say bay leaf in there, but the problem is then you'd have to fish out the bay leaf and find it, which you don't want to feed anybody, even simmered bay leaf. So I would say just leave that out of there unless you're willing to simmer your water, your broth with some bay leaf ahead of time. And that's the other thing, maybe make a smoky vegetable stock as your base instead of adding the water. Uh, smoky vegetable stock with some, you know, put some leeks or onions on a grill, get them nice and smoky, carrot, celery, mm. you know, just a real quick simmer. There you go. That'll be a great way to add that meatiness to it while reducing it. So, and from Martha M, our last question, and I've had so much fun with Katie today <laughs> and our whole crew. If you want to be gluten-free, what's the best gluten-free flour to make pita bread or naan? There you go. Oh, is it possible? Pita bread or naan? I don't know what would be a Teff flour. I mean, teff flour would make <laughs> yeah. sense. It's I mean, not necessarily of the region. What would be a... It's very close to the region. Yeah, it's, it's right across so, the water. Yeah. Yeah, try that. Yeah, try teff flour. That's sort of <laughs> our universal answer there. There you go. Hey, everyone. Thank you all so much for so many great questions, for being so engaged, for joining me and my delightful partner, Katie. Yeah, this here. is fun. Not painful so. at all. No, I'm always behind the camera. This is my first time yeah. here. So thanks for bearing with me. Yeah. So Katie and I have been working together for eight years. Uh, again, she's the godmother of our my wife and I's firstborn and uh, a dear, dear friend, a Ruby member of the Ruby family. Reach out to her at um, Katie, Katie. At Ruby? At Ruby. Are you the only Katie? You're the only Katie. Yeah. Katie at Ruby.com. She's one of your graders if you're in any of the courses with us. And of course, Barton at Ruby.com. We're so pleased that you chose to be part of the Ruby family. We're so pleased that you'll have us as part of the Ruby family. Until next time, take care. Bon appetit. <laughs>